We are currently in week 22 of our Spiritual Gifts series. Uh, tonight we're going to be doing deliverance. Now if that makes you a little, a little hesitational, relax. My father is here as well as my mother. Give them a little round of applause. I want to honor them real quick. So it's okay because we have a young priest and an old priest present. It's a little exorcist joke. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about deliverance. Um, and I just want to say really quick, it, it, for me, the, the, the life-giving nature of this series has been in being able to sit with you guys and to hear the revelations that you've been having as we've been really taking time and stepping deep into each gift. Maybe it's when you're stepping out in faith to do the things that you know that God has empowered you to do. Or maybe you're learning some language for things that you've always kind of experienced in your life, but you never knew exactly what that was. And that's what our heart is in this, as we say that we want to disciple our church and commission you to go forth with these gifts, is really to recognize the gifts that we talk about are not for a privileged few, but they're for all of us. They're available to all of us. When we step out into the world and we say yes to God in the things that he's doing in this world, we claim the authority that is our own, and we see real transformation. We see healing and we see deliverance. Many of you know that for several years, I ran a ministry school in Nashville, Tennessee. And this, this school was centered around this idea of intimacy and identity and purpose. And we've talked about that even through the fall, that when we learn to step into intimacy with Father God, our identities as his sons and daughters, our identities as his image bearers, are something that we learn to invest in a little bit more. We live in that reality more day by day. And out of that, our purpose is something that almost naturally arises as a byproduct of that same intimacy that we have with Father God. And so at one point, we're talking about spiritual warfare. And as so often happens, when the things that we discuss about the movements of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we have to be, first and foremost, welcome to those things happening within us. And so we did a couple of days, and we're talking about spiritual warfare. And I had a very uh, dear friends of mine sharing about their personal stories and how they had come to the Lord. One of them, uh, my friend Justin, uh, was had never really heard of, of the, the gospel growing up in Southern California, um, but he had gotten really into the martial arts. And when he was about 14, a dragon visited him in a vision and said, I will give you power beyond what you understand if you invite me in. And of course, to a 14-year-old kid who gets picked on all the time, that sounds great. And so he invited this dragon to inhabit his body. And for several years, Justin had this unbelievable strength. And he was about 18, and he had this dream. And this man walks up to him and he says, my name's Jesus. Boop. Done. Gone. And my friend Justin was delivered from this spirit by Jesus himself in a dream. And so Justin is sharing about his story. His wife, Audra, is sharing about her story of coming out from under generational curses. And so they just invited this moment with my students and said, I want each of you to reflect. What's, if you could name the thing that's kind of holding you back whether it's holding you back from stepping into deeper intimacy with God or it's the thing that's holding you back from really claiming the purposes to which he's created you, what would that be? And just let us lay hands on you and pray. And so each of the students, one by one, they would kind of come into the middle of this circle and they would confess this thing that they felt like the Holy Spirit was revealing to them that was kind of this roadblock, something that they were really struggling with. And we'd lay hands on them and we'd pray for them. 
Now, one of my students is very dear to my heart. He was 19 at the time when he came through my school. And we had talked a lot about how he really suffered from seasonal depression. For 10 years, there would be these profound seasons of his life where he would just be absolutely depressed and diminished. He came from a family and a household where um, he just felt abandoned and neglected by his parents, and it just continued to live out in this cycle of depression in his life. And I watched him as we gathered around the other students, and we laid hands on them, and we prayed for them, and there was just really beautiful, tender moments of seeing people encounter God, of receiving healing, of receiving deliverance. And as I watched him during this practice, I watched him just kind of sink under the weight of something. And he kind of became to rock back and forth, and he was kind of clenching his eyes. And there came this moment where he said, who's, who's next? Who wants to go next? And I saw his hand go up in the air, but it was that kind of hand that goes up in the air that you know that you're fighting something just to try to make it happen. And so he invited this student to come and to sit in the middle. And he kind of crawled over to the chair. And as soon as he sat down, boom, he goes straight to the ground. And immediately, he starts beating his head into the ground, and he's foaming, and he's fuming at the mouth, grinding his teeth, and he starts to beat the ground with his fists. And it was in that moment that I'm like, I know what this is, and I've never actually done this before. Okay, I've read about this. I've seen some documentaries. Okay, let's do the thing. And I went in and I, I, I laid hands on him and I held him and I, literally keeping him from beating his head into the ground. But what was so beautiful in that moment, all of the other students gathered around this one and they laid hands and we prayed for about 30 minutes. We just prayed the peace of God over him. We prayed for the Holy Spirit to come and to minister to him. And after 30 minutes, his, his breathing started to ease and his body started to relax underneath my hands. And we realized what had taken place. For the next several days, this student would come into my classroom and in my office early, and we'd sit and we'd talk and we'd process and we'd pray for about 30 minutes. And he came in that first day and he said, I just, I feel empty. I feel like, like I've lost a limb. I feel like something's been amputated. And there's this lightness to it, but there's also this emptiness. Because we realized he had really, truly been delivered from a spirit of depression. And so we began the process of rebuilding, of reestablishing something in his life, that place that had been emptied. We began to fill that with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so tonight, we're talking about that kind of encounter. We're talking about deliverance. And so I want to begin tonight by defining deliverance like this. Through the gift of deliverance, God enables us to identify evil and liberate captives from oppression and possession. This is where we're going to be tonight. So let's pray. I want you just to close your eyes. And I want you to put your hands out in front of you. And this is kind of a symbol that one hand represents how we're willing to let go of anything that God asks for. And another hand represents that we're willing to take up anything that he wills us to. So Heavenly Father... We recognize that you are good, that you are present to us, that you are attentive to us. Father, in the strong name of Jesus, we rebuke every lie of the enemy that would cause us fear, that would cause us hesitation, that would cause us to shrink back. We push those things out in the name of Jesus. 
through the power of the Spirit. We declare this place a safe place because you are here. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you are a good God who makes himself available to us and desires to see us live in freedom as you call us to offer that same freedom to others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do we even approach deliverance? You know, many of us, we've heard a lot of things growing up, or we've witnessed and seen a lot of things. But I want to talk very briefly about the spiritual realm, and then I want us to talk about the practicalities of deliverance. So let's begin here. We are in the middle of a war between two spiritual kingdoms, whether we choose to see it or not. We're in the middle of a war between two spiritual kingdoms. I want to talk to you about what I consider the unholy trinity. Let's turn, please, to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I want you to listen for this unholy trinity, okay? This is Paul, and in Ephesians chapter 1, if you've ever read it, it's this incredible proclamation where Paul says, Praise be to the God who, who, who lifts us up into the heavenly realms and blesses us with every spiritual blessing. And he goes on and he talks about our inheritance and the mercy that's available to us. And then in chapter 2, he invites us to reflect back over our story and see these places where the enemy has been at work. And so we jump in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And so what we see here in the words of St. Paul is this unholy trinity. He talks about the ways of the world. He talks about the ruler of the kingdom of the air, Satan, devil. And then he talks about the cravings of our flesh. And I think what Paul is rightly identifying here is that this unholy trinity will do everything that it can to unwork the work of the holy trinity. That is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now my dad and I were walking down the beach several years ago and we were talking about this idea. And we were talking about how these three things, the flesh and the enemy and the world, they actually work in concert with one another. It's so often what we see is that we, we, we live in the patterns of the world and we hear the lies of the enemy saying, that's what life is like. That, what the world tells you, that's actually what's valuable. What the world says to you, that's actually who you are. You're not very much. You're not very powerful. You, you have to go out and you have to earn love. And so the lies of the enemy twist the patterns of the world. And then the cravings of our flesh give over to those things in the world. And we see this concerted effort to undo the thing that God created and said is very good. And in turn, the thing that God is recreating through Christ Jesus and is bringing it back to that place of being very good. And I think that we live in a culture that is obsessed with spirituality and is obsessed with darkness. Recently, I looked through the horror section on Netflix just to kind of get a taste of what it is that we're consuming as entertainment in our day and age. And it was so striking how many of these movies are about spiritual realm. They're about witchcraft. They're about demons. They're about hexes. 
and how, how much we, we often obsess about darkness. The second most common thing on Netflix, oddly enough, is zombie Nazis. And I don't really know what that says about our culture. Go figure. But we live in a culture, you know, many of us growing up, we were taught how it is that we encounter someone who's an atheist who says, you know, the material reality is all that there is. And we, we learn how do we open people's eyes to the spiritual reality. But what if someone is already aware of the spiritual reality in some way or another, whether it's through witchcraft or the new age or black magic or whatever it might be? I believe that now is the time for Christians to stand up and to be at the forefront of the conversation that there is more going on in the material reality. Amen? We should be leading that conversation. Because when we shut our eyes to the spiritual reality, our brothers and sisters, our friends and our family members are looking elsewhere for spiritual meaning. And they're encountering spiritual forces that they don't have names for. And they're being deceived. And they're being lied to. And it's time for us to step up and to claim the place where we get to define the spiritual realities of this world. And so a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about healing, I talked about this Greek word soteria, and it's the word that we use for salvation. And often when we think of salvation, we think of how we have received forgiveness for our sins, that our guilt has been washed away. We think of it almost in terms of a law court setting. And that's very true. But what we find in this Greek idea of soteria is something that goes far deeper than just the forgiveness of sins, just erasing our guilt. And a couple of weeks ago, as we looked at the gift of healing, we saw that inherent within that word, salvation also entails God's desire to bring healing to us, to our bodies, to our minds, to our spirits. And so we can almost see deliverance as the third strand of salvation in that light. That God desires to forgive us of our sins. He desires to heal us of our ailments. And he also desires to deliver us from the things that would hold us in captivity and would hold us in bondage. Now we often tend to think of deliverance as something that's for them over there. Whether it's people in other countries or whether it's people that are, you know, they they look like they're obviously possessed. But the truth is that we all need deliverance deliverance. And I believe that we have all experienced deliverance. Consider your own story. Where's the place that you came from? What are the things that held you in captivity? And there was something when you encountered Jesus, when you welcomed his spirit to work in you, that he has set you free from something. And you may have not even realized it. But when you look back on your story, you recognize, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was once in bondage and decay, but now I stand in more freedom. And I believe that the deliverance that we've all received in some capacity or another is actually what empowers us to be able to go out into the world and to offer that deliverance to others. So let's talk about the gift of deliverance. This is where I want to start. As deliverers, we are called to pierce the darkness with the light of God. We're called to pierce the darkness with the light of God. 
Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 1. I'd mentioned a couple weeks ago when we talk about the cosmic Christ, there's this beautiful tradition in the New Testament that doesn't start with Jesus as a baby, but actually starts with Jesus as divine, Jesus as God. And often what these writers will do is they'll start with the divine Jesus, the cosmic Christ, and they'll work you down to his humanity. And so we find this in the beginning of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And we read this in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And I love this, because in other translations, you'll see that darkness cannot comprehend it. And I love that. What does it mean? The light has shone in the darkness, and darkness can't wrap itself around it. The darkness cannot overcome it. You see, my friends, oftentimes we live in this belief that there's good and there's evil, and they're on this balancing act. There's this yin and yang in the universe. And sometimes it tips in the favor of good, and sometimes it tips in the favor of evil. And our goal is to keep this balanced. But that is a profoundly, profoundly unchristian way of viewing the world. Why is that? Because we find here that Jesus, as the light of God, shines in the darkness, and the darkness has no category for that. You see, we need to get over this idea that there's even a competition going on. Are we doing church yet? You hear me in this? When light comes into darkness, there's not a conversation. There's not a discussion. There's not going 20 rounds and then maybe we'll see what happens. When light shines in darkness, there is no more darkness. And that is the Jesus that we recognize as the light of God. You see, so when we talk about deliverance... We're not talking about a crapshoot that maybe something will happen. But we're talking about a light that shines into the darkness. And that darkness cannot comprehend. That darkness cannot fight back in any meaningful way. So let's take a look at the way that Jesus steps in and pierces the darkness. And I want to kind of draw out three observations about the way that Jesus does this. Now, we could spend weeks in the story of Jesus and his deliverances. And there's so many beautiful nuances and, and these engagements that we see. But I think this one typifies Jesus' heart so well. So Luke chapter 8, beginning in the 27th verse. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. And I love this because Luke is so clinical and matter-of-fact. I just, like when I read that, like he was met by a demon-possessed man, I just imagine him coming and being like, Hi, I'm a, uh, my name is Jeff. I'm the uh, demon-possessed man of the community. I'm just going to show you around for a little bit. You know, we normally think about that. But like, just allow your divine imagination to rest there. Like, he's met by this demon-possessed man, okay? What is this guy like? For a long time, this man has not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want from me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? 
legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. The word legion, we use that in terms of the Roman army. It means a vast multitude coming against you. And so this demon's name, this collection of demons, recognized themselves as legion. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Gosh, I love that word. The abyss. The abyss. You can have fun with this stuff. It's okay. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. What an amazing, strange, fantastic story. And so what can we draw out of this story about deliverance? The first point is this. We identify the root of the issue. We identify the root. One might ask, how do we even have this place where we are oppressed or tormented or possessed? Or all of these words that we throw about in Christendom to describe this spiritual warfare when we encounter the demonic. And then we get into these really detailed conversations about what's the difference between oppression and possession and can Christians be possessed and and all of these things. And there's some value in that, but I want to kind of skim over that just for a moment so we can kind of see the real heart of the matter. How do we invite oppression or torment or possession? I believe that this is the way that the enemy works in the spiritual realm. Number one, he wants to keep us ignorant. He wants to keep us ignorant. Because when we shut our eyes to the spiritual reality around us, mission accomplished, baby. You're not a threat. And he's not going to mess with anybody who's not a threat. He's not going to chase after somebody who's not chasing after kingdom. But what happens when we become awakened to the spiritual realm? When we recognize that we're caught in the middle of this battle between good and evil? The next tactic of the enemy is fear and intimidation. If he can't get you to forget that he exists, he's going to do everything he can to intimidate you. But guess what? The enemy is a dog. Satan is a feral dog. He's wet and he's whipped. And what happens when you back a feral dog into a corner? It's going to do everything it can to intimidate you. But its teeth have already been knocked out of its mouth. And see, we recognize in that there is, there is power to the enemy, but it does not compare in the slightest to the power that we have in God. And so the enemy will try to intimidate us, to cause us fear, to make us question who really has the power. And then the final stage from ignorance to fear and intimidation is, of course, manifestation. When the enemy will try everything he can to control us to rob us of our freedom. We're getting ready to go down to Peru this coming Wednesday, as I said, and my friend Pam is the missionary down there. Recently, in the past couple of years, they've really had to step into learning what the gift of deliverance truly looks like because they've been, been encountering so much in the people they're ministering to in this neighborhood. Oftentimes, spiritual oppression comes in the place of abuse when someone has literally or figuratively spoken curses over us and that becomes the foothold which the enemy uses to continue to perpetuate these lies. 
And she told me that rather recently they were ministering a girl of about 12 or 13. And this girl had been raised in front of the television like so many children are in this day and age. And they watched a lot of horror films, a lot of films with demonic characters in them. And by the time this girl was 10 or 11, not only was she watching these same movies over and over and over again, but she had memorized the lines of these demonic characters where she was actually speaking them back to the screen. And as Pam and Pastor Guillermo and his wife Lisette sat with this girl, they were able to find that the root of the oppression that she was encountering in her life came from this place of reenacting the demonic characters in these stories. And that became the place where they were able to shine the light of God, to identify the root, and to walk this girl into a place of deliverance and healing and wholeness. You see, manifestations of the demonic are either blasphemous and sacrilegious, in terms of that they, they make fun of the things of God, or they become counterfeit kingdom. The scriptures tell us that demons are able to do signs and wonders, but they're signs and wonders that are robbed of the heart of the Father, and they're intended to intimidate us and keep us diminished and small. And I believe that possession is almost always something that's invited into us, whether it's through abuse, physical, sexual, emotional, verbal, if it's playing around with witchcraft or the occult or the new age, these things become bridges for us to welcome in something that we don't have a category for. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says this, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is very real. But what do we see here? When we learn to shine the light of God, who is Christ Jesus, into the dark places of this world, things are called as, as they truly are. And we recognize these spiritual forces, these rulers and authorities and the powers in this dark world. And so when we step into deliverance, when we answer the call to God in the moment to say, yes, I'm the one that's available right now, we identify the root and we honor the person. We honor the person. We see the person as God sees them, as his beautiful child who's being compromised. And so we're not fighting against other people. We're not battling against people, but we're actually battling against the things that seek to hold them back from intimacy with Father God and from them stepping into their divine purposes. And it's important that we recognize that we identify evil, but we don't glorify evil, okay? If we imagine like on one side of the spectrum, we're talking about the spiritual realm, is ignorance, where we choose not to believe that the spiritual reality is present. The other extreme can be where we become so obsessed with the spiritual realm and we become so obsessed with evil that we actually hand over more power to the enemy than he's due. And we become obsessed with it and we become intimidated by it. And we hand over way too much authority. But when we rightly identify it through the Spirit of God, we see it for what it is. And we shine the light of Jesus into that place. And we see amazing things happen. So the first is to identify the root. The second is this. Understand the specific authority in the name of Jesus for liberation. 
Luke chapter 10. Now what we see here, that Jesus, he goes out and he preaches the gospel. And wherever he preaches the gospel, we always see this accompaniment. We always see him healing the sick and raising the dead and casting out demons. We call this the full gospel. I don't know if you've ever seen a church on the side of the road. And it's like the first church of Orlando, full gospel. And I used to see those churches and be like, oh my gosh, am I missing out? Are the churches that I've been going to like half a gospel? You know, we start to kind of get obsessed. I love church names, by the way. There's this church that used to be down the road from my parents' house, and it's called the Little Church of the Golden God of Prophecy. And I'm like, give it to me. I want that name. That's a good one. But the full gospel. And what does Jesus show us is the full gospel. Go out and preach the good news, but then also demonstrate the good news. And we find that several times Jesus says, here's the gospel, and here's the authority that I'm giving you. Now go out and do and preach And then come back to me and tell me stories. And let's see what happens. And so in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 72. This is a big crowd that's been following him for a while. And he says, now you go do the same. So we jump in. It says this. The 72 returned with joy. And they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And I love that. They they come back with joy. Because how often do we know what it is that God's calling us to? And we step out in a little bit of fear and trembling, but we're being faithful to what God's calling us to do. And then we see that this actually works. What does that do to us? We talked about the power of testimony a couple weeks ago. But we step out to be faithful to what God's called us to do. And then we see in real time that the name of Jesus and the power therein is not something that we just sing about on a Sunday, but we actually get to live in it. And when we step out in faith and we begin to see evidence of the power of the name of Jesus, we come back together in joy. And we go, oh my gosh, this actually works. This is real. I've been reading these stories my whole life. But this is real. Jesus replies, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Can I get a testament? Can I get a witness? Jesus loves names. Names are so important in the kingdom of heaven. We see that it's by the name of Jesus that demons are cast out. We see that it's by Jesus identifying the names of demons that he's given a specific authority to chase them off. And then we see here that it's not us celebrating that spirits submit to us, but it's us celebrating that our names are written in heaven. That our names become part of the story of God rescuing this world, healing and delivering it. There's another story in Acts 19. And there's these these Jews, they're called the Seven Sons of Schema, which I think is a really great heavy metal band name. And these guys are going out and they're casting out demons and making a nice little profit on the side. As you do. Because let's be honest, there's some people out there that are profiting off the name of Jesus. His name is that powerful. Okay? 
But these guys are going out, and they're casting out demons, and they're making profit off of it. And they come across a demon-possessed man one day, and they say, through the gospel that Paul preaches in the name of Jesus Christ, come out. And you know what that demon says? He says, Paul I've heard of, and Jesus I know, but I don't know you. And I love that. I love that, because these demons are like, I'm familiar with Paul. I know his work. You know, I've, I've read a little bit up in him. But they say, Jesus I know. Do you know that demons have intimacy with God? It's this really weird, messed up, twisted intimacy. They're familiar with Paul, but they know Jesus. They know what he's about. They know his heart. And so often we see the demonic saying, I know who you are, and I know what you're capable of, and I know what you're going to do to us. But they come to these men and they say, I don't know who you are. And this demon literally, literally beats the pants off of these guys or the tunics, or whatever they're wearing in the first century. But he, send, he beats them up, and he sends them off naked. You see, the name of Jesus is powerful. And there's so much authority just in the name of Jesus that many can use it for good. But if you want to see real authority and real power, couple the name of Jesus with intimacy with Jesus. Because when I read this story, it reminds me of Matthew chapter 7, at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, some of you will come to me in the last days, and you'll say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name and, and prophesy and perform all these miracles? And I'll say to you, I never knew you. I never knew you. The gift of deliverance is a gift. And God doesn't give gifts and then just take them away. We can abuse them. And there's going to be limited authority in the name of Jesus when it's divorced from intimacy. The word of God never returns void. But when we couple that with intimate relationship with God, my goodness, look out. Look out for the authority that we get to step into this world with. It's phenomenal. So we identify the root We understand the specific authority in the name of Jesus for liberation. And the final is this, freedom from and freedom to. Freedom from and freedom to. Oftentimes when we're taught about deliverance, the emphasis is on chasing out evil spirits. And that's a very important part of this. That we're seeking freedom from the things that hold us captive. The things that that bind our brothers and our sisters and our friends and our families and the people of this world. But it doesn't stop there. We're not looking just to empty people of evil spirits, but we're actually seeking to move people into freedom too. Freedom from evil and freedom to relationship with God. Freedom to intimacy with Christ Jesus. Freedom to find their identities in him and to find their purpose in his vocations. And so when we step out and we say yes to God in being willing to go out and deliver people from captivity, we recognize that peace is our greatest weapon. Because what is peace? Shalom, peace. It's unity with God. It's wholeness. It's wellness. A couple weeks ago when I was up at this conference in Maryland, there was a young girl there. She's about 13 or 14. 
And, and one of the guys that I was ministering with, he invited me and my mentor to come over and to pray over this girl because she just confessed that she had attempted suicide the week before. And she was just, just broken, but you could see this hesitation and really letting go. And we began to pray for her, and then my mentor, Dan, said, Honey, I need you to be honest with me right now. Have you ever denied Jesus? She said, Yes. Yes, I have. And she broke. And he said, Honey, this is really important. Did you do that out of your own will, or did someone force you to deny Jesus? And she said, I did it out of my own will. And he said, guess what? You can reclaim the name of Jesus. Because what had happened was that denial of Jesus had become the seed for her to entertain a spirit of suicide and death, and it had nearly, very nearly killed her. But we were able to gather around her. We were able to lay hands on her, and we were able to deliver her from a spirit of suicide and death, but also to lead her into the light of God, who is Christ Jesus that she was able to reclaim that name for herself, that she was able to reclaim that relationship. And I watched this girl over the rest of the weekend and all of the times that we had of worship, she's right up front. And these are like, you know, 200 pound hardcore dudes just like smashing into each other for the Lord. And this tiny little 14 year old girl that's up there just completely free. And that's what we're talking about. Yes, it's freedom from, but it's also freedom to. And ultimately, I think we, we describe that as purity. You know, for many of us, when, we, when we're understanding purity and we're growing up, maybe it's in the church or elsewhere, but you're learning about purity. Purity is very much about you running away from something. You find there's these temptations in life, sex and drugs and rock and roll and whatever else, and you're supposed to run away from those things, and that's what purity looks like. You've got to keep yourself untarnished. And you remain an empty vessel, but you're never told what that vessel is supposed to be filled with. And so we spend and exert all of this energy trying to fight off and keep ourselves free from things that maybe we need to be told a little bit more what we're having freedom to. And so I think this is so true when we're speaking of deliverance. The Christian call to purity is more about running to God than it is about running away from evil. What happens when we spend all of our energy fighting against evil and rebuking evil in the name of Jesus? It works, but we're exhausted and we're depleted. But we have to recognize that in the midst of this spiritual warfare, when we turn our faces to Father God, we thank him for who he is and how he is delivering us. We thank him for the name of Jesus. It animates us. Because you recognize that we're actually created for freedom to be what God has called us to be in relationship with him as his sons and his daughters. When you came in tonight, there were these mirrors hanging here and they each had over them a little square of paper. And that paper represents the demonic forces in this world that seek to keep us from reflecting the image of God. It tries to do everything it can to stop us from stepping into our divine vocations as God's image bearers. And deliverance is very much like what each of you did. When you peel back those layers, you're allowing that mirror to reflect the light out into the rest of the room. And that's what deliverance is. It's us being able to come alongside of one another and scrape off all the gunk of the enemy 
that prevents us from being the mirror that reflects the heart of the Father into the world. And that, my friends, is what we celebrate tonight. That is what deliverance ultimately is. So I'm going to invite the band to come forward. And I'm going to invite all of you to stand up. If you're comfortable with it, take the hand of the person next to you. You can even do it across the aisle. I love it when we do these things across the aisle. There we go, space filler, love it. Do you claim for yourself the name of Jesus? That's not a rhetorical question. Let me ask that again. (laughs) Do you claim for yourself the name of Jesus? Is the Spirit of God living within you? then you have everything that you need to stand against evil tonight. I want you to close your eyes. And that thought that that Paul gives us in Ephesians 6 about the principalities and darkness, I want to continue reading that, and I want to declare this over you as the encouragement for the life that you're called to live. So just close your eyes and receive. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Amen. So tonight, we're going to corporately renounce the principalities of darkness. And here's what I want you to do. I'm going to speak against demonic forces, and in one voice together, I want you to say, I renounce you. And I don't want you to sit there and go, I renounce you. I want you to say it in your full voice. I want when you speak these things out that it shatters the gates of hell. That it makes the enemy run like the feral dog that he is and run for cover. So when I pause, I want you to say, I renounce you. So right now in this moment, we speak against this principalities of darkness. We speak against all the demonic forces of this world that would seek to cut the legs out from under us. I speak against all the demons of divided allegiances, all of the voices in our heads that would have us with one foot in the camp of God and one foot in the camp of the enemy. You are not welcome here. I speak against all of the demons of idolatry, every single thing that we have placed above the name of Jesus and we've made it our source. You are no longer welcome here. I claim these children in the name of Father God. I speak against all of the demonic forces of addiction. Pornography, I'm calling you out. Alcohol, I'm calling you out. Drugs, I'm calling you out. Overworking, I'm calling you out. Every single addiction in this place be gone in the strong name of Jesus. Now I speak against the demons of unforgiveness. I speak against the demons of loneliness, of depression, the demons of suicide and death. I hate you. You are not welcome in this place. I speak against fear. I speak against anxiety. I speak against death. 
I speak against Beelzebul himself. You are not welcome. Be gone in the strong name of Jesus. Now we stand in freedom from, but we also proclaim freedom to. So I'm going to pray, and I want your response to be, Come, Lord Jesus. Let's try that once. Come, Lord Jesus. Father God, we invite your light to shine in the dark places of this world and to shine in the dark places within our own hearts. Father, we invite you to invest in us, your Holy Spirit, that you would fill every crack and crevice of our being. Father God, we invite your peace. Father God, we invite your righteousness. Father God, we invite your truth. Father God, we invite your freedom. And Father, it is in that freedom that we stand here tonight as those who have been delivered from the snares of the enemy and also those who are called to go forth and to offer that to the same. Lord, I thank you for all of the work of deliverance that you're doing in this room tonight. We seal these things in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, there are brothers and sisters here tonight who are willing to pray for you on an individual basis. And I'm going to invite some of those folks to go ahead and come over here. And if there's something stirring up within you that you know that you need to go into some spiritual warfare, that you need the advocate to come to you right now, that you need deliverance, that you need healing, that you need the comfort of God, I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite you to move over here and allow these dear ones to lay hands on you and to pray for you. So Father God, if there is anything more here tonight that you want to deal with, would you shine the light of your spirit on those things right now? Lord, now's the time. Now's the time that we want to claim the freedom that we have in you. Now's the time that we want to claim your name over us and to see captives set free. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. We give you full freedom and authority to move as you see fit. We thank you, Father. We thank you that you deliver us. In the strong name of Jesus, amen.